Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. We are Take the Black, and I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with the usual suspects, the goddess Isis, Lord Thone, Corey, and the lowborn, the bastard of Texas, Corey Smith. How you doing, Corey Smith? We don't care. Anyway, Annie Bundle, you're here with us, and we have a special guest, the editor-in-chief of WinterIsComing.net, Dan Selke. Everybody give him a round of applause. Yay! <laughs> Anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about our favorite Game of Thrones theories, and it's really going to be a fun podcast tonight. But before we get started, there's one little minor bit of Game of Thrones news, and it's going to be a traveling Game of Thrones concert series. Dan, take it away. Sure. Uh, All right. Uh, Raman Jawadi. Might be how you say his name, the composer. (laughs) We've had had a little bit of problem with that on this podcast. Is going to travel the country starting uh, the United States starting in February with a uh, orchestra and a choir. Going to go to 28 different cities um, and going to play songs from the show. And it's coming to United Center. It's coming to Madison Square Garden. Gone all over. And uh, tickets go on sale August 10th. So a couple days from now, go buy them if you like and see Raman Jawadi conduct the Game of Thrones Orchestra live. I know I'm pretty excited about that. And Thone, he's going to be at Kansas City, Missouri. That might be the closest you and I get to it. Well, I mean, that's like 25 minutes for me, so. I know, so. Hey, man, if you want to come visit, I got a spare bedroom or a basement. Either way. Oh, yeah. Bow and chicka, bow, bow. The basement is a little creepy. Ignore the skeletons and the lamps, uh, lamp shades made of skin. And <laughs> and the chains on the wall. Yeah. All right. It is well, going to Canada briefly too for all you Canadian listeners out there. Wait, we have Canadian listeners? I, I, I assume we're erudite and sophisticated. <laughs> You're such a nice guy. Dropping the big words. Dropping the big words. That's why we have him on the podcast to class up the joint a little bit. It's true. So listen, tonight we're going to talk about our favorite Game of Thrones or. A Song of Ice and Fire theory. It's going to be kind of a, a show and book theory crossover. And um, some of them are going to be kind of crackpot, tinfoilish hat theories. And some of them are going to be kind of like, uh, they, might, might, they might make sense to you if you hear them. So uh, we're going to start really quick with, um, I don't know, let's get it out of the way. I don't know, did anybody on our panel pick R plus L equals J? Anybody? No, I made the joke about it, and you thought that I wanted to pick it. The show already confirmed it, so it's not a theory theory. anymore. Yeah, That's not really a theory, so that's what I'm talking about. If anybody out there is confused about what we're talking about, the R plus L equals J theory was that um, Rhaegar Targaryen... (laughs) Tonight's a great night. Some Stark girl. Rhaegar Targaryen fell in love with Lyanna uh, Stark, they ran away together to the Tower of Joy in Dorne. He did not kidnap her. They ha- they they had a baby, baby John, and that is the R plus L equals J. There's a whole backstory behind it and all that. So anyway, that's what we're talking about in theory. So what I'm going to do is I'm I'm not going to start tonight because I've got a good one, got a crazy story. Let's go to some crazy bad theory. one then, Dick. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up the floor tonight. You've got a bad one. Yeah. I want Dan to open up the floor tonight. Dan, what did you bring to us? What is your offering? All right. For your- my, my theory, I submit to all of you, and I, I think, just hear me out, that Varys, 
Uh, oh, God. We, we, we all know Varys, that Varys is actually a merman. <laughs> oh, my God. You really picked that one. Okay, so, now, I know it sounds crazy, but here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay it out for you. Okay, so, in the book series, it's mostly a book theory, I'm sorry, show watchers, but um, they make reference to a race of sea beans called merlings. Every once in a while, they mention, like, oh, you'll see a merling off the coast, like when Sam's traveling down to Old Town, there'll be references to merlings. Yes, I am saying that. And uh, <laughs> stuff like that. And there's other sea creatures, too. Like when Brienne and Pod are traveling Feast for Crows, they they talk about uh, squishers, which are yeah. sea creatures that are kind of rumored, kind of like a mythological thing, rumored to be in the Riverlands, kind of occasionally attack peasants. There's also a race of mysterious creatures called the Deep Ones. Mm-hmm. who are theorized to have made the base of the high tower in Old Town and Ooh. the Seastone Chair out of a, and possibly a shy, out of um, this kind of oily black rock. So there's all these references to sea creatures, um, and they all kind of have like those squishers, merlings, deep ones. The idea is they're all the same thing, just different folks with different ways of describing them. Right. Now, which brings us to Varys. Now, <laughs> after that, I, I shouldn't need to tell you why he's a merman. It's pretty obvious, but let me just um, dig into it a little bit. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Yeah, it, I mean, I, you, don't, you don't need to be led to water here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's the evidence that Varys is actually a member of these, um, we'll just call them merlings, as a catch-all for the Deep One Merling Squisher race of beans. Okay. Okay, so... By the way, I think you're blowing Isis's mind right now. Oh, it's it's all true. Merlings exist. I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, okay. So the first piece of evidence that readers have uh, come up with is that he's often described as having a slimy smile. Now, why would George R. R. Martin write that? Why would he say that Varys has a slimy smile? Because he doesn't show his teeth when he smiles. Why not? Because he has a row of sharp, pointy teeth, like a piranha or a um, other kind of fish that has sharp, pointy teeth. <laughs> so, if you're not convinced, I'll go on. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, uh, keep going. Uh, I believe it's a walleye. No, sorry, go ahead. Yes, something like that, like a walleye pike. I don't know fish. I love it. Keep going. And he has Point. no hair to make him, you know, kind of He's go scaly. through the go through the water yeah. quicker, right? You see, it all comes together. It's like... It, it, yeah. Oh, no, hold on. He hasn't gotten to There's the good more. stuff. Okay. Go for it. I'm sorry. There's a I... scene in A Clash of Kings and on Game of Thrones. This was adapted, so like canon, um, where... I think it's where uh, Tyrion busts Varys talking to Shay. Yes. the hand. Yes. And, you know, Varys kind of, like, threatens him subtly. And then Tyrion kind of gets help in his face and says, you know, don't fuck with me, dude. I will toss you in the ocean. And then Varys basically says, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm disappointed because the big fish eat the little fish and I tend to keep paddling. Now, yes. is he speaking metaphorically or is he saying that he is a fish person and can survive in the water indefinitely? Definitely the second one. Yeah, the second one. It's pretty clear. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Okay, the third this show. Episode. This show is very literal. There are no metaphors at all in George R. I, I, I think that the quote is actually something about he he drop him in the sea. Yeah, yeah. Here he says, "I'll throw you in the ocean. I'll send you to the sea." And there's just like whatever, because you know, he, he, what would he care? He's happy there. He likes the sea. Right. All right. The third piece of evidence is um, Littlefinger in the book, not on the show. I don't think this happens, but he mentions that he kind of has Varys under his control. Which he might he might have been bragging, but readers have pointed out that Littlefinger happens in the books to own a boat called the Merlin King. The Merlin King. Now that implies that he has some kind of control over the Merlings, like he's their king. And Varys, being a Merling, he also has control over him. So let's recap. Slimy smile. Slimy smiled. Mm-hmm. Told Tyrion he, he, he'd be fine in the sea. And, okay. and also, Littlefinger owns a boat. I mean, you put these four things together. All right, you're missing a big one. What's no definable sexual parts. Okay, well, there, there's another one. That would be Literally a not a big one what? if there's nothing there. He could, he could say he's a eunuch, and people would believe him, but really, it's just because that's what they look like down there. That's characters. right. Well, the the other thing that people point to, and I, I, I'm like right on the fence on this theory, so I'm glad you brought it up, Dan. Okay, go on. Right on the fence. So if you remember back to that scene where Arya gets lost in King's Landing um, in the very first season, where she finds herself down in the, the dungeon or whatever. Yeah. Um, in the books, when she stumbles upon uh, Varys and Ilrio Mopatis uh, coming up out of wherever... Martin specifically describes it as they are coming up out of a well. And oh, you're right. Yes. And Be so, fair, she later goes down that well, doesn't she, to escape? Right. And so she, or no, she tries to go down there and she says all she hears at the bottom is water or something like that. So they're very clear that Arya, when they think they're not being watched, Arya sees them coming up out of water as opposed to coming up out of some secret tunnel that, like oh, Arya, that Arya eventually finds to get out. So that's to me. Five. That was a big one. There you go. So, anyways, go ahead. All right. Um, I think that's about it. So I'm convinced. Someone said varies is a, mer- is a merman. Let's see. I don't. I don't. I don't think they have much luck. <laughs> Dan, you've convinced me. <laughs> My God, you are all fired. <laughs> awesome. That is a big mistake. <laughs> Under the sea. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, you know what? Let let me follow up that. I mean, it's gonna, that's going to be a hard follow, but um, I'm sure not all not all show watchers are, are familiar hang on, hang with. On. Before so, we move on to the next theory, I just I mean I feel like we should all have a chance to poke holes in it. Okay, no, you're absolutely right. Let's. I don't want to poke holes in that because I absolutely. I don't want to sink in the water. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I am not a mer person, so exactly. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, I would say the biggest hole in that theory is that why the fuck would that be true? I'm going to ask why. I'm just going to ask what is. Why not? Yeah, no, I feel you. No, I, I um, I, to me, this this feels like a like a meme that like people let get out of control. <laughs> it was a, well, of course a, it is. Yeah. Well, the, but the thing is, you've got Corey over here, the other Corey, the lowborn one that doesn't, you know, didn't go to school. Um, <laughs> you've got him believing that 
The, the very, low boys, they really will believe They won't believe anything. They'll vote for anyone. And, uh, <laughs> it's, including your in. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, no, no. I, I mean, I agree with you. The only reason I don't believe it is because, yeah, why would it be true? Like, what point would it serve to That's have the it be a question? Like, you know, yeah. I can honestly, in this universe... Whatever, he might have fins or gills or something. He could be the descendant of Kevin Costner in Waterworld. I don't know. But uh, Westeros could be the thing that rose after Waterworld. We don't know. But uh, it's easy, someone over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> easy. Calm down. But, but seriously, the the question is what point would it serve? Like Corey said, like, I mean, there, I could buy it as a literary device if we could just figure out what it would do. I'll tell you what point it serves. Hit me. Okay. Hit me. See, you remember how fast he got back and forth from Dorne? There you go. To, Boom. To uh, a son, of a, back? son of a bitch. That's actually <laughs> a good point. <laughs> he just motherfucker swims. swims like a fish, right? He knows that <laughs> take like the undersea currents. You know, yeah, like there those turtles in Finding Dory. I hate everybody on this podcast. <laughs> you hate us all, don't you? We're going to have a great jump today. That was great, Dan. Thank you so much. I had not really heard much of that, so I just had read about it on Twitter. So I was going to go next with my Sir Duncan the Tall theory, but does anybody else want to go next before I jump in? No? I mean, unless you want to bring up Bruce Bolton as a vampire. So if that does does happen, this actually kind of works in my favor for my theory where Danny uh, from last episode, where Danny will launch out of, because if he's in Pentos with Danny it, and he's a, a merman, this would make him easier to come back and forth between King's Landing and Pentos or, or that other island. Um, where was the other island? Hold on. I'm looking at my notes. Hold on. Kokomo. Co- yeah, Kokomo. And uh, but no, Bermuda. no, no, the other one, Dragonstone, Dragonstone. Uh Dragonstone to go back and forth uh to give updates to Danny, uh where you know, wherever she's kind of operating out of before she navigates into uh King's Landing. So, if he's a merman, hey, more power to him and it would actually make a lot of sense. Given what my art no, it wouldn't. was last, it wouldn't make any sense. I, 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 like can't, I just... can't believe I can't believe that somebody just said it would make a lot of sense. No, yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. No, I like, you know what? Because I, I I came here thinking it'd be a joke. Now that we're talking, it's I, kind of falling into place for me. And I this is why. <laughs> Dan, I'm just trying to. Man, I'm also on my third beat. Fan, are the craziest fandom there is because this is what happens is everybody starts discussing theories and suddenly they all make sense. It's George R. R. Martin's fault That's for it. not making a book every six fucking years. But anyway, there are some serious theories here tonight, right? Yeah, I, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Actually, I have. I, I have the. I, I did Southron ambitions. Um, oh wow! I had I had considered doing uh, the Grand Northern Conspiracy, but the fact of the matter is, is that I realized the show has kind of shut down the whole Grand Northern Conspiracy yeah. thing of taking down the Boltons and you know the North remembers. We've discovered whether or not the North remembered, and they really weren't all that cool about it. Um, no. But when it comes to Southron ambitions, you know this is actually something that I do believe as a theory, um, and that's that uh, the generation before Ned Stark actually was working towards taking down the Targaryens another way, and that 
basically Robert Baratheon's rebellion just sped up what they were already trying to do. And this is based in the fact that um, if you look back in the histories, and this is something that doesn't get mentioned on the show very much, um, so that's part of the show watchers are going to be a little lost here, but I'm going to try and do this as as, as compactly as possible. Um in uh, in Cersei's past, she remembers that the reason that she got uh, Jamie to marry or J- Jamie to join the Kingsguard is because she discovered he was about to be engaged to Liza Tully. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, Robert Rathian was engaged to uh, Lyanna Stark, um, and when it comes to Ned Stark, he was actually fostered at uh, the Eyrie, and. If you if you look at all of these things, these these are a little strange because you know the fact of the matter is is that most families don't mar- intermarry with other families. Um, o- Oleana Redwine's a perfect example of this. She, or the Redwine family was a Bannerman family to the Tyrell family, and that's why she married the Tyrell. That's why she married into the Tyrells. The Tyrells marry their Bannermen. Um, if you look back in the if you look back in the past, there are uh, other families who basically are intermarried with Bannermen. They don't usually marry into each other's houses. The only house that really did that was the Targaryens with the Dorns with the Martells, because that's basically how they keep the Seventh Kingdom. Um, okay. So. Suddenly, out of the blue, we have an entire generation where everyone is trying to intermarry the great houses, which is not a thing that usually happens. Why would that be? You know, so you look at the families that are mar- that that are intermarrying. You have, you know, John Arryn the Vale, um, you know, uniting House Stark, Baratheon, and Arryn. You have uh, Brandon Stark being promised to Caitlin Tully. Um, you have Rob Baratheon uh, being promised to Lyanna Stark. And then you have the Lannisters looking at marrying Liza, marrying Liza Tully. And you suddenly see that all of these families are intermarrying with each other and forming one gigantic, you know, uh, basically, uh, it's like the it's like the EU sort of, if you think about it. This is their version of the EU, but through marriage, you know, it's as if Germany and France and Spain all intermarried their families together so they could gang up on England. Um, and basically the, the idea is that this was a thing that, uh, you know, the Stark family had realized that the Mad King was mad and they were tired of the Targaryens ruling them and they wanted to basically overthrow them. And so this was a slow build of pulling all the families together in order to then overthrow the Targaryens, except then it all went to hell when Rhaegar stole Lyanna Stark and, uh, uh, Ned's older brother went down to uh, King's Landing to challenge him and uh, got burnt to death. And then yeah, Robert... this is this is this is said to all go, go to hell at the hand of the attorney. I mean, uh, attorney at uh, attorney at Harrenhal. Right? Basically, when Rhaegar and Lyanna saw each other and fell in love and decided basically to quote to run away together, even though history does not actually record it as such. Um, that this is basically um, it basically screwed up this 
this long-term plan to get rid of the Targaryens. And in a way, by doing that, we have now a very weak king at the beginning of the series. Robert Bratton is a terrible king. Um, we've had this entire, you know, War of the Five Kings that followed. And now we have a Targaryen who's basically coming back and taking, you know, planning to take back the Seven Kingdoms. And here we are all cheering for her. So by Robert basically, you know, screwing up the plan by jump-starting it way too early, we will have the Targaryens back again in charge, um, and the and, and the Southron ambitions will fail. So, What's the, Robert done, Robert Baratheon was Leroy Jenkins. That's what I'm hearing. Basically, <laughs> yes. Yes, that's one way to put it. Yes. yes. I mean, he is kind of. I mean, if you everything you see about Robert Baratheon is that he is just an idiot. I mean, he really, he, he had this picture in his head of who Lyanna Stark was that had nothing to do with who she actually was. She was utterly bored by him, and all, you know, everything we've ever heard about her makes her sound like she would be utterly bored by him. Um, when he talks about her in the crypt, Ned is just like, you didn't actually know her. You know, and Robert doesn't even seem to hear it. You know, he's very, very into making sure that history records that, you know, Rhaegar stole her and Rhaegar raped her because he can't actually accept the idea that she might have run off with him. Like, it, yeah. the, the fact that he needs that so much, you know, you almost feel like somewhere somewhere in the lizard brain, there's he knows, but he, he can't let that be true. So he must have history say that. There's a quote from either one of the books in the Exong of Ice of Fire series or the World of Ice of Fire was talking about Lyanna Stark where she's talking to Ned Stark and she says that she knows that Robert um, loves her or she Robert doesn't love her she loves the idea yeah he loves, he the, loves idea the idea of her. Of her. yes and yeah. that's and that's very much what it is is that she you know and she doesn't even she doesn't like him in the slightest um and she loves music she loves poetry she loves you know and and Rhaegar is all of those things he's actually like a singer and he's a poet and you know and he's also a badass on horseback who knocks people off of horses um I mean he's the entire package you know you get you one that can do both well she did um so yeah that that's that's tough around ambitions, and it's one that I actually really do buy into, that there was a plan to overthrow the Targaryens, and that Robert basically screwed it up by being an impatient idiot. What would be great, and this goes to uh, what would be an amazing prequel series, a spinoff series, is if they started way like before like maybe like the false spring before Robert's Rebellion, is um, showing how the... Uh, the fathers of these great houses were friends after the war of the nine penny kings because that's when they became friends that's when tywin lannister and um i forget who the stark was who, who, what's his name Rickard. what was that rickard stark who we got to see Stephen baratheon yeah Stephen baratheon and hoster tully and they all became friends, and it's weird that Tywin Lannister was friends with these guys. Rhaegar these guys, as well. Rhaegar as well, because that. Ra and and but Rhaegar was the he was the guy who came into this group, and he said, "Listen, my right. my father's a mad king. I will be a better king. Let's depose him, and I will show you what a true king will be like." And they were on board with deposing his his father. They were on board with 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 putting Prince Rhaegar on the on the throne. Yeah, because did but Tywin knight Rhaegar? Tywin knight, Tywin knighted. Uh, was it Tywin? Or was it Barristan? 
I think I thought it was Barristan, but I'm I could be wrong. Right. Anyway, anyway, mm. but Barristan was Barristan was was Rhaegar's like one of his best friends. Barristan and Rhaegar were really close. Anyway, long story short, it all went to hell whenever Rhaegar and, and Lyanna ran off together, like Annie said. Anyway, yeah, I South uh, on ambitions is a great theory, and uh, well, it's funny. Too, honestly, I've... has become more of a theory. Yeah, and I, I've been something Annie said too. I've kind of I haven't rewatched the show since. I started watching it, I would say, um, and uh, going back and watching some stuff from season one on YouTube uh, with Robert, who I had almost forgotten about as a character completely, because <laughs> I'm, I'm just a show watcher. So he was only in it for a season, actually half a season. Show he was, he was, yeah, he was only here for half a season. It's really yeah. kind of amazing. He was a prick. He really yeah. was. Like, going back, I remember thinking he was funny. Like Mark, because I love Mark Addy so much, and I was like, "Oh man, he's yeah. he's funny." And going back, it's like, "No, nope, he's a prick. He's a prick." That one of my favorite scenes that shows how how much he doesn't get it <laughs> as just a person is he's standing there with, uh, or he's sitting there, and Barristan Selmy, whose name I remember now, and uh, and Jamie Lannister is outside, and they're talking about their first kills, and Jamie comes in, and you know, uh, King Robert is talking to him about oh who was your first kill and he says oh you know this so what did the mad king say when you stabbed him in the back you know and um he tells him you know the say they've been saying for hours burn them all and his whole demeanor changes and stuff and he instead of being like instead of it clicking with him that like jamie lannister has you know seen some stuff and or barrison selmy has seen some stuff he just treats them like they're nothing you know and it's like get out of here you know he doesn't care about them anymore uh, he was a prick, man. So like, I it, it totally makes sense that he would have screwed everything up because why would they include him in their plans at all? Because he's just a hot-headed idiot. So, well, the thing about the thing about Robert was he was a great warrior. He was a terrible king, and that was the problem. He he was never meant to rule. That was the problem. Yeah, but the thing about um, the thing about South Run ambitions is that if you think about it, the um, they could have basically removed the Targaryens from the throne completely. They could have changed the entire way. You know, there is the there is the theory that that Rhaegar was the lead behind it, but at the same time, you know, and that might explain why Tywin originally suggested that Cersei marry Rhaegar, um, but. Uh, Mad King Aerys said no to it. Um, but I have always sort of ascribed to the theory that it wasn't that they were going to put Rhaegar on the throne. It was that they were going to get rid of the Targaryens altogether. Um, and whether or not they were working with Rhaegar and then were going to turn on him or whether or not they were working on their own is up for debate. But I've always thought of this theory as being the let's get rid of the Targaryens altogether and let's basically have, you know, our separate uh, our separate kingdom in the middle and then the south to the south. There's something that Corey Smith wanted to mention here, and it's uh, um, Lady Dustin. Oh, right. Yeah. Thank you. That was the name I couldn't come up with because I don't I don't have notes in front of me. Um, but, yeah, she was she absolutely hated the Starks. And it was partly because of uh, this intermarriage thing that wasn't the way it usually went. And she was the she was kind of the one who coined the phrase "Southern ambitions" because right. yeah, because in the books she talks about all their plans that they had and their southern ambitions and how it all went to shit when uh, Rhaegar kidnapped Lyanna. So that was who, where it kind of came from in the books, at least. 
So. But this goes deeper than that because she blamed the Maesters. Right. She called them the Grey Rats. Right. And that's where South Run and Brit Ambitions really goes deep. If you really start digging deep into this, it was Lord Rickard Stark's uh, Maester who contacted, um, I believe, the Tyrells and then Hightowers, um, House Hightowers Maesters, and they just started circulating all these different things. And so people talk about how the Maesters... And this this is not a theory we're going to talk about tonight unless somebody else chooses it. But uh, people talk about how the Maesters have tried to stop magic from coming back into the world and how may, possibly the Maesters have tried to um, kill the dragons off and how the Maesters are really responsible for, for the destruction of the dragons the first time. Um, so, uh, you know, the, that's probably a good thing. That, you know, the Maesters have had their hands in a lot of things throughout the story of Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire, but uh, anyway... Uh, yeah, it would make sense for them to want to get the Targaryens out of power then. Um, it's yeah. a great theory. I uh, just want to say, if you want to read more about it, a guy named Stefan Sass is the guy who, who came up with this and wrote like a whole giant thing uh, over on A Song of Theories. Just Google that name. Really, 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 really detailed. Lovely theory. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so uh, moving on, I guess I'll go ahead and throw my theory in. It's kind of a, it's much less detailed and a little more lighthearted than South Run ambitions. Um, we've all heard about uh, Brienne of Tarth and, and her her great height and her great uh, capabilities as a warrior, and of course we all remember Hodor, rest in peace, you sweet gentle giant. But did you know that those two might actually be related? No. Um, <laughs> yes, actually, they might be related. It's amazing. Um, they might be related through a character um, not mentioned, uh, well, mentioned once on the show uh, through everybody's favorite king, Joffrey Baratheon, when he was flipping through the books in in the uh, Tower of the of the Kingsguard, uh, Sir Duncan the Tall, the Kingsguard. So th Sir Duncan the Tall is a character mentioned through a series of novellas by George R. R. Martin called uh, Duncan Egg. Egg is the name of a king, uh, a Targaryen king named Aegon V, and he was actually uh, Maester Aemon's brother. He was he was actually crowned king when Aemon Targaryen turned down the, being king. So uh, Aegon V was called Aegon the what was he called? Aegon not not, not the unworthy, but unworthy. Aegon. The unlikely. Unlikely, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Because he was the fourth son of a fourth son. Exactly. So, anyway, um, Duncan Egg is a series of novellas where it, it talks about this called the Hedge Knight, and Dunk starts off as a as an um, a tournament knight himself, uh, and he takes on this this little bald headed kid who he doesn't even know he's a prince, a Targaryen royalty who um, he takes on as a squire, and sooner or later he finds out that he's a Targaryen prince, and uh, they go on all these adventures, and in an as-yet-published book, there is uh, called The She-Wolves of Winterfell. Um, there is a passage in, in supposedly in this book um, where that George R. R. Martin has, has talked about in many uh, um, conventions, where Duncan the Tall goes to, to Winterfell with Egg. And while they're there, Duncan has a tryst with young Nan. 
And um, supposedly, this is where we get Hodor. Willis. Now, um, I don't know the logistics of it or the age and all that kind of stuff, but um, there's also, uh, we know that George R. R. Martin confirmed that um, Brienne is an ancestor of Duncan the Tall as well. Duncan the Tall's shield was a tree with a star falling behind it. That was his, that was his, um, his sigil, on his, on his heraldry on his shield. Um, uh, during, in the book, she describes when she gets a new shield, she, just, she has somebody paint her shield for her, and she remembers fondly a shield hanging in her father's hall of a, of a, of a tree with a, with a star falling behind it, and it's Dunk, Duncan the Tall's shield. And so at a con, uh, George R. R. Martin confirmed, yes, she is an ancestor of Duncan the Tall. So that was a big reveal. So, so many people started putting two and two together. So if Brienne, the big tall warrior, is an ancestor of Duncan the Tall, and if Duncan the Tall and Egg go to Winterfell and the She-Wolves of Winterfell, which has not been published yet because George R. R. Martin said he will not publish the She-Wolves of Winterfell until the Winds of Winter has been published, which God knows when that's going to happen, will we get confirmation that, old, that young Nan will be impregnated by Duncan the Tall. Let, and let me give you further evidence as to that. Okay. In, in one of Bran's dreams, in A Dance with Dragons, he sees this. A barefoot, thin girl, tipping, uh, leaning up on her, the tip of her toes, kissing a tall knight under the Godswood tree. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay, so... Further proof that this tall knight, there's no, they're really, I mean, why would you call it a, why would you describe this person as a tall knight? Maybe um, they maybe meant tall. Yeah, and it could have been knight like the knight <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we're talking about theories here, guys. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, the, the theory is this. Hodor and Brienne are, are long-lost cousins, although Hodor is dead now. May he rest in peace, you sweet, gentle giant. Anyway, so now, now that we've established this theory that I, I'm going to hold on to for the rest of my life, did you know there might be two other characters in the Game of Thrones universe that also might be related to Bran and Hodor? And do you care to guess who they might be? The Hound, Anybody? The hound in the Mountain. Good guesses. Tyrion. Yeah, tall. <laughs> Shut up, you lowborn bastard. It's pretty funny. He's short. I'm kidding. Yeah, it's I short. Love, it's I love, ironic. I love, I love the you. classic I love misdirect, you, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. Classic. you get short people. It's, it's comedy, yeah. man. Comedy. The second and third guy who played them out, not the first. <laughs> one, that one. was better. I've seen the mountain and uh, the hound as possible relatives of Dunk the Tall, but no, those are not, those aren't it. Um, they're both men of the Night's Watch. One is Small Paul. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other one is our favorite guy who held the gate against Magna, Mag the Mighty. Is Grin. it Grin? Yes. The, reason the reasons for this are it's very simple. The, um, during the novellas in, Dunk, in uh, Dunkin' Egg, there is one common phrase always used for Dunk the... For, uh, for Duncan the Tall. Dunk the Lunk, thick as a castle wall. 
Okay. Really? He's Not always thick called as a trunk. They had to go castle wall. Mm-hmm. Castle wall. They didn't have they... trunks in medieval times. Or trees. <laughs> Tree trunks. That's a... Dunk the lung uh. thick as a castle wall, okay? The... So they always said that. It's repeated over and over and over and over and over and over throughout all the all the novellas. Well, in 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 the books and on the show a couple of times, it said for for uh, for Grin, it said this. Uh, Small Paul, I, I don't know if Small Paul's in the show. Yeah, or not. Not in the show. Yeah, the, the, but Grin definitely is, and it said, it definitely said for Grin once during the training yard, "You're thick as a castle wall." But uh, in the show, in the books, they're both said. Small Paul is said to be thick as a castle wall, and so it's people are correlating this, putting two and two together, saying that because they're both bastards, they don't know who their fathers are. Uh, they're at they're at the night they're at the wall they're men in the night's watch that uh, Dunk in his travels throughout the land before he became a king's guard to to Aegon the fifth father he went around randomly impregnating women yes he does got around didn't he yeah. seriously that's he, like half of Westeros well Dunk tra- listen in the novellas he travels around a lot he travels the Riverlands the the Westerlands he goes to Dorne. He goes back to he goes up north. Okay, can I poke goes, can I poke a hole in your theory? Yes. Okay, please so do. my 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 hole poking goes to uh, the small Paul and the grand part, and mm-hmm. I point out that uh, George R. R. Martin has a tendency to recycle phrases over and over yeah. and over again, yeah, just because yeah. he does. Okay, and it has nothing to do with anything. You know, I I mean seriously, like how many times do you hear people say "give a mummer's fart" in, uh, in, <laughs> in 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 a Dance with Dragons? I mean, he just gets stuck on phrases. What do you and, see? Much and more. He loves much and more. Much he and more. Loves yeah. yeah. So you know the fact that he the fact that that phrase appears both in the no, both in the Ice and Fire novels and in the uh, and in the Duncan Egg Tales does not mean that they are in any way related. It just means that he was really married to that turn of phrase at the moment. Okay. All right. So that so let's since small small Paul is that what we said because there's also small a small there's Paul. also a small John in the show as well. So I'm, is there, well, he's an Umber though. He's an Umber. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just saying in, in the north. Same, you know, geographic region. <laughs> no, what I'm, I'm sorry. What I'm, the first thing I was implying was that people in the north are just very literal. Like, ah, oh, who's that? Oh, well, that's little Tom. Well, he's little Tom then, and we're gonna call him that forever. Uh, but it, it seems like if Grin and Hodor were both the children of Brienne's dad, then then that would mean Brienne is gonna have to die protecting a door or a gate of some sort. <laughs> Because both Grin and Hodor did. Oh my God, that's yeah. amazing! So, oh, oh, just except Grin didn't. Except Grin didn't die in the books. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Not dirty nice. show watcher here. <laughs> You've shown me. Okay, I want to add this to the uh, small Paul theory, and I, and I just looked it back up because there was a little wrinkle in the small Paul theory. Uh, uh, and I'm pulling this from Quora. It says, uh, um. Lark the Sisterman laughed. Small Paul, thick as a castle wall, he mocked. Um, when Chet thinks about his co-conspirators at the f- fist of the first men, this is what he says about Paul. Small Paul was one of his, the strongest man on the wall, even if he was slower than a dead snail. Remember this, dead snail. The snail reference goes to the mystery night where Dunk rides against Uthor Underleaf, whose personal sigil was a snail. 
In the tourney, Dunk loses the tilt after having knocked after having mocked the rider, and because he was too slow. Dunk says, "How could I have lost to a snail?" That's why people put that together. Anyway, I do see your point. I'm just saying, as theories go, people tend to connect dots like that. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Dunk, Dunk got around. He impregnated lots of girls. Had lots of guys. Paul, uh, small Paul was also very tall, very big. Um, uh, what's his name? Grin has been called an oryx. Uh, so was uh, Dunk the Tall was called an oryx. So there you go. All right. Thank now, you very much. I, I'm bowing. Now I'm, for I'm, all of us. High five. Because what you just said means a whole lot to everyone here but me. Uh, but I'm I'm thinking that since maybe half our listening base is all just Shonleys, they're all like, Razor, what rambling bullshit is falling from your mouth right now? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, my God. I think, I think Smith is up next. I mean, yeah. Right? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Whatever. Just well, we're going to talk about secret parents and secret relations and all this, you know, crazy shit. So I wanted to talk about uh, the the theory. And this one's actually believed by quite a few people. Um, so definitely wanted to talk about this one. But that Tyrion is secretly a Targaryen. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm, so, I, I, I'm so glad that it's secretly a Targaryen and not secretly Danny's son. Okay. Uh, no, no, we're going to touch that. It's a secret are with a K. Secret with a K. I love Dan in the back. Dan in the background. Are we? <laughs> okay, so there's there's two parts to the theory. There's the one that Tyrion is the son of Joanna, which was Tywin's wife, and Ares, the Mad King. The very small part that I don't believe is that Tyrion is secretly the son of Danny, who time warped and jumped across Essos to Westeros and somehow was transported into Joanna's womb. And it just, that one just gets really stupid really freaking fast. Uh, and so I don't really want to talk about that Sorry, one. Sorry, time out. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I'm not yeah. trying to be, I'm not trying to be that guy. Did you just say trans, yes. like time warped and trans, like, yes. like Tyrion, okay. Tyrion, God damn it. You're going to make me explain it, aren't you? Okay, so. No, the just, theory, just tell me that part. That's yes. all I need. The theory is is that when Miri Mazdor did her little magical witch ceremony on Danny in season one, that oh. she wasn't just messing with her baby. She was, she was transposing and time warping the baby that was in Danny's belly, which would be Tyrion, back in time to Westeros. And. <laughs> yeah. Into Joanna's womb where he was born, and therefore is secretly Danny's son, who time traveled as well as I don't know, warped, whatever you want to call what Varus does. Um, I believe he swims. So then, what did Danny give birth to? Danny gave birth to the stillborn child, and see, it ties into the Mad King thing. Danny gave birth to the stillborn child of her father in Joanna. And it's just, oh. it gets all kinds of weird and ridiculous, and it, it, I don't believe it in any point. But if you, if you jump back to Tyrion being the, the son of the Mad King, there's, actual, there's actually some evidence for that. Um, 
in the books as opposed to the show, you kind of saw it in the very first episode. Uh, Tyrion is described as having hair that's so blonde that it's almost white, which is what mainly the Targaryens have, as opposed to Jamie and Cersei having, you know, kind of the dark blonde, you know, kind of Lannister look. Um, and so they, they kind of changed that in the show, but on the books, he definitely has the white hair. Um, then the, in the books, they also talk about how the Mad King lusted after Joanna Lannister, which was Tywin's wife. Um, Joanna had been a, a maid in, um, the Queen's court in King's Landing, so kind of caught uh, Ares's eye uh, before she was married to Tywin. And on the night of their wedding, uh, Joanna and Tywin's wedding, um, the Mad King made some jokes about he wishes that uh, first night, or Prima Noctra was still a thing and that the king could sleep with the new bride before the husband. And didn't he get super handsy on the bedding on the bedding he, of the right? And then the bedding ceremony, which they kind of gloss over on the show. In the books, they basically the men disrobed the women, and the women disrobed the men before sending them upstairs to consummate the marriage. And Tywin was upset that Ares got a little handsy during that that time. And then also in a in a world of ice and fire, there was a tournament to celebrate um, Ares's ten years tenth year as a king. And during that ceremony, uh, Atlantisport. No, no, this is in King's Landing. Oh, okay. And it's her during that time at King's Landing when she goes with them. Right, and at that point, uh, Ares made another joke about uh, Joanna's body after childbirth, and again, something that Tywin didn't li- uh, like. But it just kind of hammers home the point that Ares kind of never lost his, you know, infatuation with Joanna. So the theory goes, at that tournament, um, Tywin tried to resign his hand to the king. And so some people are take that to imply that maybe Ares did something worse than just make a joke about Joanna. That he might have actually forced himself upon her. And that Tyrion, who was born roughly a year after the tournament, would have been the result of Ares forcing himself on Joanna. And this, this does tie into the three heads of the dragon theory that everybody passes around that the dragon has three heads is a prophecy. And we commonly accept Danny to be one head, John to be another. And then people kind of push Tyrion as the third head, especially if he's secretly a Targaryen. It would also explain why uh, Joanna had such a hard time in child labor because in a world of ice and fire, it's commonly expressed that uh, Targaryen childbirth is very, very hard on the mother. Right. Right. And again, Tyrion is a, is a dwarf. The Lannisters hadn't shown any history of dwarfs up until that point. Obviously, Jaime and, and Cersei were you know perfectly normal-sized people, so... That you know, and Targaryen babies were often deformed, or you know, they were described as twisted right. and form, deformed. Right. Yeah. So again, that would play into it. Um, and then you know, you have you have Tywin's uh, comments about um, you know in this in the third season after the battle at Blackwater Bay when Tyrion's like, hey, you know, I want my inheritance, I want Castle Rock, and Tywin's like, no fucking way, and. 
they kind of push it as Tywin has some sort of irrational hatred towards Tyrion. And he says, I cannot prove that you are not mine, so I have to kind of accept you. But it, the implication there is he doesn't necessarily believe that Tyrion may be his actual son. And then, of course, when Tyrion actually kills Tywin, right before he kills him, Tywin says, you are no son of mine. Or you were never my son, something along the lines. No, he says, you are not my son. Right. And again, the implication was is that Tywin was finally maybe admitting or believing that, you know, Tyrion really was the Mad King's son and not his own. So, I mean, and then, you know, this past season, this is when everybody went crazy, when uh, Tyrion goes down into the crypts of Marine and talks to the dragons and releases them, and they don't seem to have any problem with him. I mean, the dragons are always shown to have an affinity towards Targaryens. Um, and so that kind of brought this whole theory back up to the forefront, you know, because they're like, well, if he can talk to him, then he's got to be a Targaryen. He's got to have Targaryen blood in him. So, I mean, that's kind of the theory. I don't know that I necessarily buy it. Um, I think kind of like what we talked about with the with the merman theory. I, I just don't see the the point of it. Um, I but see, I think this is way more valid than the merman point. The merman yeah, is yeah, silly. I, I no, it is. It, it is. <laughs> it is. But I, I think it's kind of circumstantial evidence. It would make Tyrion a bastard uh, because obviously Joanna and Ares weren't married. Um, and then it also kind of, to me, it invalidates a little bit John's, you know, John's big reveal. You know, I mean, the whole series is building towards John being revealed as secretly a Targaryen. And if you, now you've got Tyrion secretly a Targaryen as well, it just kind of, to me, it devalues that. Yeah, um, right. I also and, like the way it would, um, I just thought that it would devalue the Tywin-Tyrion yeah. relationship. I, I always love the irony yeah. of Tywin hating Tyrion because he's doesn't want something to chat, but then Tyrion being really the son that Tywin deserves. Right. Like, it, right. As implacable, as smart, but much nicer. Right. And that and that's being the one that Tywin rejects and tries to get Jamie and Cersei who were screw ups to follow in his footsteps when he should have been doing Tyrion the whole time. See, I've right. heard I've heard the opposite theory that possibly Jamie and Cersei were Targaryens and that Tyrion was an actual Lannister. I've that's heard that heard that theory to me. I don't think either of them are true, but if I had to choose one set of Lannisters to be Targaryens, I'd rather it be Jaime and Cersei. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that, because, and, and now you have the Mad Queen thing going on with her. And the brother-sister yeah. yeah. banging. The thing is, the brother-sister banging. I actually believed this theory back before the show existed. Like, back when this was all just a book, I actually very much bought into the idea that Tyrion was a secret Targaryen. Um, and it was actually the show that convinced me I was wrong. And the reason that the show convinced me I was wrong is because they didn't bother make, they didn't bother do all those things that are described as Tyrion's looks in the show. They didn't make, uh, they didn't make Tyrion's hair like a shock of white. They didn't give him one purple eye, then one green eye. They didn't do any of that. They didn't bother with that. And that struck me as, if they're not bothering to at least do the two different color eyes, like they're not doing any of that, then all of that is probably a red herring. I mean, the contacts are hell. They said that. And oh, yeah. I mean, they they, also they, they did make his hair a lot whiter in the original pilot. Right. I will say that. 
Yeah, and they didn't. That's true. They didn't mention the whole backstory between Joanna and Ares at all on the show, as opposed to even with John, they sort of had the hints laid out for us if you were looking for them. But with Tyrion, there's no evidence on the show that any of this is true. Now, the one part of the theory that I'll say I can believe is Tyrion being the third head of the dragon, but not because he's a Targaryen, but because if you look at who the 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 first two heads of the the dragons are, um, and you think about the three most important families on the show, it's all about the Lannisters, the Starks, and the Targaryens. Everybody mm-hmm. else is just kind of you know they're they're part time players. They come in, they come out. Those are the three most important families. And if you think about that as far as the three heads of the dragon, you have Danny, who is pure Targaryen. Her father and her mother were both Targaryens, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you think about on the other side, you have Jon, who's half Targaryen, half Stark. And then if you have, if you have Tyrion as the, as the third head of the dragon, he's, he's pure Lannister. His, uh, because Joanna was Tywin's cousin. So that so if you think about symmetry, you've got you've got pure Lannister, pure Targaryen, and then Targaryen Stark, and so I could still buy him as part of the the third head of the dragon, uh, maybe not in a a literal sense like he's going to ride a dragon, but as far as if the prophecy turns out to be a figurative thing, um, I could still see him being the third head of the dragon without being a Targaryen. Oh, screw that! I want him to ride a dragon. I do too. I mean, I, I want I want him. I want a specially made saddle to to be looped around all the way back from season one to come come into play into season seven, and I want him to ride her dragon. Yeah. So I mean, I like I said, I don't I don't buy that he's secretly a Targaryen. I just don't see what it would point. And I think Dan brought it up. You know, it, it would totally change the dynamic between Tyrion and Tywin because it would give Tywin a legitimate reason to hate his son. And that kind of invalidates everything that we saw because, you know, we kind of sympathized with Tyrion because his father hated him. Well, and, okay. okay. I, I do want to say, not in Tywin's defense, but something that adds um, some some more elements to, at least for me as a show watcher, about Tywin and Tyrion's relationship is that Tywin, like Tyrion says, hey, one time you did something, you know, that wasn't going to benefit you. And Tywin says, you know, the day you were born, I should have had you taken to the woods and killed, but you're a Lannister, and we don't do that. And But he holds that grudge against Tyrion not just because he's a dwarf and not just because, uh, well, I guess the dwarf thing and also maybe he does have that suspicion that he's not his own son maybe, but that he also, at least deep down, he blames Tyrion for his wife's death. And from what I understand, the only times that Tywin wasn't a prick – was when he was around his wife, right? Yeah, so, just, yeah when Tommy smiled like, is when... Just like me. So, yeah, so, so, yeah, I mean, it just... Oh. I, I think it adds, it adds a little bit more to it, you know, in that regard, but anyway. All right, all right, we've heard from a lot of us. I want to hear from Thone. You haven't given us your theory. Let's throw okay, it out should we let Should we let Isis go since her she's on a phone because her, her Wi-Fi is screwed up and she might not be able to make it the full time? <laughs> Isis, how are you sounding over there? I don't know. How do I sound? You sound good. Not bad. Yeah, not okay. too bad. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm on my phone. My Wi-Fi just died, like, you know. And, and it was so funny, too, because Annie was going to lead me into my theory, which my theory is Bran made the Mad King go mad. Okay? Oh, yeah. 
So this is my theory. Now, I'm not saying that uh, the Mad King was was absolutely made mad by Bran. I think he was already totes cray-cray. But I don't think that Bran helped him out any whatsoever. Uh, he may be a unwitting um, accomplice in setting the events that the the entire show is built off of, and uh, almost making him the most hated Stark rather than Stanza, which is a feat within itself. Um, <laughs> But I'm I'm gonna go ahead and submit to you um, some reasons why I feel that this could possibly be true. Uh, you know, one being that Bran's father, um, Bran has spoken to his, or I shouldn't say spoken to, but whispered uh, when he was uh, green seeing uh, with his father and Theon. So I feel like his desire to probably change. Uh, the present events, uh, he would actually go into the past, even though the Three-Eyed Raven has already told him the past has already been written, the ink is dry. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel that that this is all leading us, linking us, and this is from a show watcher's perspective, of course. Um, and I know I've seen some things written places where book readers are saying, well, Bran's father really didn't hear him talk. He just heard like a, a a breeze go by or something like that. But in the show, it indicated that he heard something, maybe a voice or something uh, that said father and, and Theon uh, heard something as well. So um, we've already proven that Bran has used his warging powers multiple times. And he has even done it while uh, green seeing uh, with Hodor in the past. So we, we can absolutely reference that, uh, use that as a reference to say that, hey, this is a quite, you know, a possibility that uh, could happen. I think a lot of times Game of Thrones fans want to kind of talk about, um, you know, the Targaryens in absolutes um, and pointing to the fact that the Targaryens have a history of mental illness uh, due to, you know, incest or inbreeding or whatever you want to say uh, and stuff like that. But I think that, you know, that happens probably in a lot further down the line versus, um, you know, closer to the thread. I mean, you know, there can be links between uh, Viserys and Joffrey of uh, being crazy children of incest if you will, uh, but Tommen and Marce- uh, Marcella uh, were, were, came out fine. So let's probably look at it more of a nurture um, versus, versus nature situation. Uh, I would also like to give a nod to book readers that the uh, it was said that the Mad King, and this is, again, what I've read, the Mad King was also um, had Blackwood in his line via his grandmother. Um, there was prophetic visions um, all through his, his life, and um, and that could have probably exacerbated uh, the, the, his madness, if you will, uh, what we would probably say, oh, he's just eccentric and stuff like that. 
uh, could have, you know, these whispers from Bran telling him that uh, burn them all, burn them all, could actually be reference to burn all the White Walkers or the Whites um, versus something more sinister saying burn all the people that are um, maybe after him or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so that's that's my, you know, theory, I think, and, and, and I don't want to take too much of the time or anything like that, um, but that's my theory that I have, and I know that you guys probably can poke holes in it and stuff like that, but I actually really like this theory that Bran is the cause. This kid from season one who was, you know, pushed out the window, if you will, uh, by, by uh, Jamie who we really didn't think was going to be all that significant in the very beginning of the story ends up being basically the reason why this whole event happened. So that's my theory. I got to say, I got to hand it to yeah. you. You respect. Yeah. Yeah. Put some, res- put some respect <laughs> so, on it. So I, I just wanted to expand on one uh, big point that you touched on. The fact that the Mad King would have Blackwood blood through uh, through his grandmother is very important as far as the warging thing because the black men are one of the few or the blackwood I'm sorry are one of the few houses don't even say it Corey. Uh, they're one of the they're <laughs> god dang it okay they're one of the few families um, in the westerlands that have the blood of the first men um, in their ancestry just like the Starks and they've kind of made that a point of only uh, houses with blood of the first men have the ability to warg, and so that's and it's important. It's important to note that that's that's why his Blackwood ancestry would allow Bran to kind of warg into the Mad King, like you're you're talking about. Bonus points if you can tell me which Targaryen married into the Blackwood. Share, wasn't it? <laughs> uh. No, because what's his face? Uh, the three-eyed raven has Blackwood in him, but he was baseborn. It was Aegon. The, it was Aegon the fifth's son. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the three-eyed raven is a, is descended from House Blackwood, but he's uh, he was baseborn. His parents weren't married. Anyway. Well, I also wanted to mention that I read somewhere. Again, this is not something a show watcher would know. I was I was reading Reddit, of course, and uh, and someone mentioned there that Bran, you know, also comes from these, uh, you know, the descendants um, of all the the brands in his past, and so it could be very well that Bran has is all the brands of the past. Uh, that he just either wards yeah. into or he has chimed yeah. into. And so, you know, the brand that, that created the wall in Winterfell is actually our brand that we are watching. I want to talk about that. Let's talk about that for a second because I've, I've read that theory for, for a while now, and it, especially since um, Hold the Door. Um, and now that we're doing this whole time travel mindfuck thing uh, – is it possible, and Dan, you've been quiet for a while, is it possible that uh, Bran, as we know him, has actually traveled back all the way to the First Men, and is Bran the Builder, uh, Bran the First Men, Bran from all the other brands, Brandon uh, the, the Night's Watch, First Night's Watch 
Lord Commander, all those guys. Is it possible? No. No? Actually, I mean, Not this is the first time hearing about this. Um, really? I don't, I don't, hey, I, even I've heard about it, yeah. Yeah. It's all over, man. So, um, well, so here's the thing. <laughs> it is, and this, is a, this has really been, I, I feel like, ramped up because of the show. Because as, as Isis talked about, and someone else did too, uh, whenever we get the flashback to the Tower of Joy, which was not, by the way, uh, as it was hyped up to be, it was very much a Tower of Not Joy. But, yeah, but, but uh, it was, you know, whenever Bran was yelled the out. The Tower of Men. Yeah, the Tower of Ugh. But uh, there was, whenever Bran yells father and Ned turns around, it's like it's implying that uh, that Bran is so powerful that he can, like, cross through time, maybe not physically, but 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 maybe, uh, you know, spiritually is not the right word, but metaphysically, right, yes. and, and influence people. But then we had hold the door, which, like Razor said. So we saw that, that and I granted, it wasn't intentional, but what basically happened was because Bran was still warged back in time looking at Willis, and then also Hodor was in real life being told, like, like basically... Because uh, Bran basically created a bridge between his warging and the past and the future and disconnected from the tree and all that kind of stuff. It was like a whole bunch of different descriptions you can make up with. But he accidentally fried Hodor's brain. And, and that, you know, the other theory is that Hodor in that last moment was, was Willis, not Hodor. And that, right. that, that, but which makes it even sadder. But, yeah, um, super sad. but basically that, that Bran is so powerful and doesn't understand his the length of his power yet, if you will, that he uh, that, that there is a chance that maybe not that he is Bran the Builder, but that he could go back and influence Bran the Builder and it's like, hey man, make that wall like extra magicy, and that's why the wall is magic, and right. you know things like that in history that are super important. If Bran, because a three eyed Raven can witness all of history, what if he can kind of influence it? He basically becomes a demigod. And at that point he can go both forward and backward. Cause we've seen him go forward in time too. We got I the mean, flash forwards to the wildfire blowing up in King's landing. So right. yeah, what, what kind I mean, of influence does he have? It's, it's, it's dangerous. It's not though. When, when you start thinking about like, are there going to be time paradoxes in this? more time paradoxes. Like, if Bran went back and built the wall, but he grew up in a world where the wall already existed. Yes. So he now you're So now you're getting, now we're getting into the, the, the paradox that, that hold the door of the episode in itself opened. I, and, let's not, and let's not also forget that, you know, Jamie threw Bran out the window, which is what made him basically able to start warging and then led him to be the Three-Eyed Raven. If yeah, Bran no, is the one it. who made the Mad King mad, so that Jamie killed the Mad King, then Jamie made Bran into the person that made the Mad King mad and forced him to become the Kingslayer. So it basically comes down to, to Bran having to allow himself to become paralyzed. Okay, but here, but here's the other thing. He doesn't necessarily have to have done all those things. The Mad King could have gone mad on his own, or Jamie could have thrown Bran out on his own. It doesn't necessarily all have to be influenced by Bran. So I mean, that's why it's a theory. And right. the time paradox that Dan was talking about, the split could happen in several places we've seen in the show. Right. The most obvious one is Bran surviving the fall. Right. right. Well, so I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know. Okay. I've also, I, will, also, I, I, I will say this. Um, George, uh, the producers a while back said that George R. R. Martin sat them down and told them three holy shit moments, their words, not mine, about the show, about, about, about the story, uh, about the story. That one of them was Shireen being burned. They adapted that. One of them was Hodor hold the door. And there's a third one they're going to reveal later on. God damn it. And that's I can my see theory, it being something way. like this. Yeah, especially because, like, there's all in the books, there's all kinds of instances of where people have assumed that it was the three eyed raven influencing things, but it could be brand influencing things. Because, like, in, for instance, in the in season one, when John rescues Commander Mormont from the whites, they, they glazed over it on the show, but in the books, Commander Mormont's raven spontaneously starts saying fire, fire, fire. And that's when John gets the idea to take up the lantern and burn the white. In the books, it's a, his raven is very influential right. throughout the entire... Even now that Mormont's dead, his raven right. still is heavily influential in everything that right. he does. Right, and people have assumed that that was some sort of vessel for the three-eyed raven, but it could be Bran is influencing things in the past now that he's the three-eyed raven. So Well, I've also I've also heard that um it was the three uh Nerdist did a theory on this right after Hold the Door that not Bran, but the three-eyed raven is the one that made the Mad King go mad by uh warging the three-eyed by, by warging Ares before he went mad and then seeing the the Night's King and his dead army and saying you have to burn them all to kill them, and then doing the whole bridge thing, and that's why yeah. the Mad King said, "Burn them all, yeah. burn them it all, burn them brain, all." Just like Hodor said the same thing and over again. I've also heard yeah. that theory though, with Bran trying to go back in time to stop the White Walkers from taking over and eventually ruling Westeros because that yeah. is the ending. Trying to figure out a way to stop them previously by by warging into the past and trying to uh, get the Targaryens to use their fire and their dragons or whatever to to go north, but they don't do it, and it always messes with their head, because he's only 14 or whatever, and he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Right. Yeah. Well, God damn well, it, Isis, once again, you bring the best one of the day to us. Well, great, I, I get to follow it, too. Excuse it's me, great. Merman. 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 I just want to... Okay. No, 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 you on the phone. Go ahead. Uh, okay, uh, I just wanted to say that, you know, I really feel like there's some, you know, real... You know, uh, I love Corey's what Corey was saying about Bran being the one who kind of like wards in, or he he's talking to uh, the Mad King and everything, and telling them you know burn them all, burn them all, kind of like a, almost a hordor or a reach back to a hordor moment. But he's actually doing it himself, especially if they both have the you know this this warging kind or green scene kind of situation um going on but maybe this is all kind of playing up all this history is all building up for uh Danny to defeat the white walkers you know all this history is building up building up because you know it wasn't the mad king who was going to be able to defeat the white walkers it was always intended to be uh danny to do it with her dragons and things like that so you know maybe we're we're kind of looking at this in a in a, a situation where you know we're t telling 
We think that Bran is trying to tell him, you know, to burn them all, to burn them all. What he's really is trying to tell him is like, hey, tell them in the future to burn them all, to burn them all, uh, the Whites and the White Walkers. So Yeah, and uh, there's... There's there's evidence in the books that the either the Three Eyed Raven or Bran is at least if not influencing Danny's journey at least keeping tabs on it. Um, and I, I know they showed this on the and the there's a theory on the show too where most of the major events in Danny's life there's a a raven in the scene somewhere. Have y'all seen that video on YouTube? I haven't. No. Uh, that's a good one to look up. If you go back, they they kind of collected some of the major scenes, like when Drogo is burned. Um, really? Yeah, and then uh, in the end of season five, when Danny's gotten off of Drogon, and you know she's like, "Hey, take me back." There's ravens there, and so it's a little flimsy, but well, yeah, they're pecking the food there, right? Yeah, I know that. One. Right, but there's some, and there's a couple other instances that I'm forgetting, but there is some. I think that what we're getting sidetracked on is that Bran is influencing everything, and I don't think that necessarily has to be true for the theory to be true. You yeah, could have I think Bran getting sidetracked from. You can have I think Bran getting sidetracked from is this? Isaac Kempstead writes about to get paid next season. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up real fast. You know, in the books, Bran is not the only one who can work. In the book, we see that Arya is able to warg when she's blind. She wargs into her wolf, Nymeera. Um, It is is suggested that Jon can warg. And actually, I always took those raven scenes with Mormont's raven as Jon basically, like, half experiencing what he could do, but not actually getting to go all the way. Um, And, you know, there's also even the fact that Sansa makes herself a raven dress. Um, You know, that ravens are the thing that Outside of wolves, what's the first thing we see people uh, work into? Ravens. Um, so there's there's a whole hint that keeps that the show that the show never goes to that I really wish they would because I think if we saw all the Starks able to work or at least more than one, it would make us not focus it all on Bran quite so much. What show watchers don't understand, and I really wish the show would have done this, is um, the wargs beyond the wall, the wildling wargs. They consider Jon Snow to be one of the most powerful wargs they've ever come up against. In fact, um, one of the what's Vermeer Sixkins mm-hmm. tells Mance Raider he doesn't realize how powerful he is, and he's not anywhere near as powerful as Bran. Right. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, um, all right, Corey Thone, you why don't you wrap this up for us? All right. So I'm not gonna be able to top Isis's. Uh, she did of a great not. job. All right. So once again, she steals the show. We're gonna have to just close with her from now on. Probably a good idea. Uh, so I'm a Shonley, so I had to do some research. And the one that sounded the most interesting to me actually doesn't have much basis in the show. So I'm going to kind of talk out of my ass here. But I have a, some notes and I have a couple articles, so bear with me. 20 years ago, before Song of Ice and Fire, uh, George R. R. Martin wrote a short story called The Ice Dragon. And <gasps> yes, yes. Now, there are some great quotes here that I've compiled, or say quotes, uh, whatever, from the book uh, passages uh, that kind of describe the ice dragons a little bit and kind of talk about them. And uh, the ice dragons, this is a quote, ice dragon was large, half again, the size of the scale green war dragon that hound as fellows flew. Adara had heard legends of wild dragons larger than mountains, but she'd never seen any. Hound's dragon was big enough to be sure five times the size of a horse, but it was small compared to the ice dragon and ugly. Besides, the ice dragon was a crystalline white, 
the shadow of white that is or the shade of white that is so hard and cold it almost looks blue. And it was covered with hoarfrost, so when it moved, its skin broke and crackled as the crust of the snow cackled beneath the man's boots, and flakes of rime fell off. Its eyes were clear and deep and icy. And uh, so, obviously, the coolest part about these dragons, other than the fact that they look like that, is that they breathe uh, cold. Uh, this is another quote here. When the ice dragon opened its great mouth and exhaled, it was not fire that came out. It, the burning sulfurous stink of lesser dragons. The ice dragon breathed cold. Eyes formed when it breathed. Warmth fled, which is beautiful. Warmth fled. Fires guttered and went out, shriven by the chills. Trees froze through their, sl their, through their slow, secret souls, and their limbs turned brittle and cracked from their own weight. Animals turned blue and whimpered and died, their eyes bulging and their skin covered with frost. The ice dragon breathed death into the world, death and quiet and cold. Now here's some stuff from A Song of Ice and Fire that references ice dragons. Uh, a lot of this is said by Nan, but there's others. Uh, here's a quote. The wind was gusting, cold as the breath of an ice dragon, and the tales old Nan had told when John was a boy. And the row beneath the wall was as dark and cold as the belly of an ice dragon and as twisty as a serpent. And the wind was blowing from the east along the wall, cold as the breath of the ice dragon and the tales old Nan used to tell. So they reference old Nan twice. Um, there's also this quote here from Anakin Gabriel, a Reddit user, uh, who posted this from Master Eamon, who said, quote, The way he says this, fire consumes but cold preserves the wall. The wall has been standing there for about 8,000 years. It's quite old, but it's still there. A lot of powerful magic must have been used so it can last that long. And we know that the powerful magic is related to dragons. Uh, I've come across different versions of this theory in some forums. Some say there's a dragon inside the wall. Others say there's a dragon at the base of the wall. Uh, but my theory is that the dragon uh, formed the wall and is underneath it. And uh, that the powerful magic that made the wall is actually dragon's breath. And that's why the uh, White Walkers can't get through it because it's dragon stuff. So uh, what does this mean for the show, I guess? Uh, for the prince who has promised to quote his song uh, is a song of ice and fire. We all know that. Uh, we all think of the fire that dragons have. But uh, when it comes to Jon Snow, who is part Stark, uh, you know, cold, and part Targaryen, who's fire, uh, there seems to be a, uh, a reference there to ice and fire, possibly him having... A ice dragon, which is all said and done. Uh, my theory is that when the wall does crumble, the uh, one of the things that's going to arise from it, other than the White Walkers being able to come across it, is that they're going to discover the uh, ice dragon underneath the wall. And there's also something else. Give me just a second here. I forgot. Uh, there's a, a lake or something somewhere in Westeros near uh, near Winterfell that uh, God, I lost it. Stannis? You're talking about the lake that they Yeah, it's like they, always cold and blue, right? And uh, it's like always pretty much frozen. It's cold and very, very blue. Very, very blue. And uh, the theory is that that's uh, that also has something to do with the ice dragon as well. Sorry, I lost my note on that one. That might have been on a different page. But, um, yeah, basically, the theory of the ice dragon is something that they honestly haven't talked about much in the show, uh, but that doesn't mean they can't introduce it. I mean, they introduce dragons really quickly in the show, so why not ice dragons? And I think that that would actually be pretty badass if 
the Ice and Fire, instead of having John and Danny team up, it's more of John and Danny against each other with Ice Dragons and Big Dragons and all that other crap. So, there you go. I have always, always loved the theory of an Ice Dragon in the wall. I know that George R. R. Martin himself has always scoffed at the idea of an ice dragon in his own stories. He wrote the short story, The Ice Dragon, which you quoted from in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say because I am in awe of your research. I love it. Uh, I just think that if the White Walkers came across and they found an ice dragon that breathed actual death onto on living things wouldn't they use it against the living yeah well how can they control i mean maybe the thing is unless uh, it was put under the wall by the people that built the wall exactly that's, from the white walkers that's the thing is that the hibernation aspect of it or something i mean it's seriously i mean at this point we're we're talking about theories within a theory but you know the idea that it was put there so that the magic could remain for eight thousand years or whatever and that when it is freed uh, from it, you know, it maybe the song of ice and fire. Maybe it's the combination of ice and fire that has to defeat the White Walkers. Yeah, I mean, very much so. Uh, there's something that could happen. I mean, the White Walkers live up north, but clearly they don't like it. They're trying to come south, so you know, everybody likes a beach. So, <laughs> did you know that in uh, a world of ice and fire, the book that was um, released last year, um, it talks about. Um, the Targaryens had a fool. What was the fool's name, Dan? Do you remember his name? Um, no. Uh, and he remember, there's a fool named. He, he was a dwarf. I remember. I don't forget his name, but he was a, a fool for the Targaryens. He traveled with them wherever they went, and the royals visited Winterfell on their dragons. And one of the dragons actually went into Winterfell's crypts and laid a, a clutch of eggs. It's in the books. What? It's listed. Yeah, what are you Corey Smith. About? This is, Go look it this up. This is in the world of ice and fire. This is not in the actual. Oh, this is okay, not actually. Okay. This is in the. This is in all the extras. This is basically in in the in in their version of the Similarian. Gotcha. It's in the world of ice and fire, and uh, uh, one of the dragons actually laid a clutch of eggs in the book in in uh, the Winterfell crypts. So I'm maybe 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 one of those eggs could have turned into the ice dragon. I like the idea that um you, you suggested a chord that maybe it could lead to a, a Danny John face-off. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, because everybody assumes they're going to be teammates, right? Yeah. Everybody assumes they're going to get married. Like, that's the assumption. And, well, I mean, you know, and what, honestly, is, what is George R. R. Martin always said? It's going to be a bittersweet ending, right? Yeah, they're going to get married. They, I don't think John can have kids anymore. Why? Because <laughs> they, they talk because about... death. Right, because he died, and they talk about how er, when every time someone dies and is resurrected, that they're less. And that well, I know, it's, you know, I don't know that means changed. he can't be shooting blanks or something. I, mean, I was going to say it lowers. I know, count. but I'm just saying, if you're talking about a bittersweet ending, it would no. end with John not being able to have kids. <laughs> it better be more bitter than that. <laughs> well, or that he could, or that I mean, again, in the books, like Thoros. Eventually passes on and does. I mean, not Thoros. Uh, Dondarrion doesn't come back after the last time that he passes it on. Spoiler warning. Yeah, well, they pass. Even you guys have said that he passes his magic or whatever on to Stoneheart, right? So yeah, right. it's not happening now. So so, yeah. but I'm just saying the, the bittersweet ending could be John 
either not surviving or choosing to not live after everything is taken care of. That's the answer you got right. on the last one there. The right. the bittersweet ending is that either John or Danny has to die to stop the yeah. fight. Right. I mean, and, I, and, so, the, and the thing is, that's super obvious, and people are like, oh, this is Game of Thrones. No, now this is Game of Thrones, and I think it was Dan, actually, a few weeks ago. Like, this is Game of Thrones with a much more limited roster. Like, when they had that gigantic cast of players, you could kill off major players, and it, and, and it was fine. Now, we're at the point to where if someone like Jorah Mormont dies, that's a big deal, because there aren't that many people left from season one. Yeah, and right. he survived 36, that long. Thirty-six yeah. named characters, I think, is the is the list I came up with for the column uh, yeah. left on the show. Wow, so. I might win the like award for person you didn't expect to last over six seasons. Who's that? Maybe Jorah. Um, what, what did I just say? Sansa. Sansa. Yeah. Oh, I mean, wow. she was a Stark, so you can see her lasting. I mean, Jorah seemed yeah. like kind of a. Uh, auxiliary character in the beginning. So. I don't know, man. I was kind of going with Pod or yeah, so, or Braun or someone like that that we all like, but doesn't actually have anything to contribute at all because of the Gendry. Mormonts. Yeah, Gendry. There you go. But I, the Mormonts, as we've talked about on this show countless times now, actually have been you know Loki, the the bringer of everything. They they give you know they they mentor John in the north, they mentor Danny in the in the south east, and uh, and they also back John and Winterfell and end up, uh, you know, giving him a, a garrison in a way, you know I mean? It's like the, so we talked last week, I don't know how it came up, but we talked about what we were hoping would happen with Jorah. And I, and, and my favorite was that he comes back and he becomes the person for Danny. Yeah. yeah for Danny that reaches out to John and ends up running into to Liana and, and has to, you know, be the person that, he he has to prove to Liana that he's not the the guy that was selling slaves and stuff. And at the end of it all, before he dies of whatever, you know, he gets to like be forgiven by, yeah, gets to be forgiven by his family and like have his name reclaimed and stuff, which would be great because I love I really love that character. We've had some really good theories tonight, and um, I want to thank all my cast. Thanks Dan for joining us tonight, and Dan, you're always welcome back anytime you want to join us, and. Uh, no more big words, though. No big words. Come on, don't think about it. Hey, hey, listen. Talk about big words. Talk to ISIS. Anyway, um, thanks for my panel. Thanks for all the theories. Listen, if you have any theories you think you might want to talk about, leave them in the comments or on social media, and we'll talk them with talk about them with you. And uh, for myself, for Lord Thone, for the goddess ISIS, for Annie, for the editor in chief, for the man the myth. The legend himself, Dan Selke, and for the lowborn bastard, Corey Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm kidding. We love Corey. This has been Take the Black. Blah, 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 bl